0: The Gestalt Gardner podcast is brought to you by Variscosity Vein Center, providing health assessment screenings and compassionate care to improve your vascular functionality and quality of life. Our doctors and vein specialists offer solutions to painful varicose veins, spider veins, and other venous diseases to our patients. Now offering complimentary vein screenings in Jackson, Madison, and Ridgeland. Information and appointment scheduling at com.
1: This is an
2: MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Armadillos are not listed among the six Mississippi nuisance animals, but some homeowners might disagree. If unchecked, armadillos can cause serious damage to a yard or home, but most often these nocturnal creatures are seen as roadkill. Today on the show we talk with Kathy Shropshire about this unusual mammal and answer the question, Do armadillos make good pets? Join our conversation this morning by giving us a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464 or you can email the show send it to animals at org. always like to remind you that if you miss the creature comforts broadcast on thursday it repeats every saturday morning at six so good morning hope that everyone is doing well this morning yes good morning good morning uh dr major let's start with you have you ever treated an armadillo at your clinic uh no uh i haven't uh I guess that's
3: a little bit of everything we had. We've had several different type animals in this last last few days. A goat came in having a problem, a pygmy goat. And then, unfortunately, we had a fox that came in. Yesterday had been run over and was dying. So we humanely euthanized him. He was in bad shape, so... But no, I haven't. Uh, haven't had to treat an armadillo.
1: Okay. Uh, have you noticed a sort of an uptick in traffic at the clinic now that uh, some guidelines are being eased?
3: You know, we we've been we've been uh, relatively busy uh, as far as traffic. Uh, gosh, you just have to look out at the interstate and see that overall traffic has increased a lot. But as far as we've been pretty steady as far as. Uh, people coming uh, to the clinic, and we're still doing what we call curbside uh, service, you know, picking up the animal from the uh, client and bringing it in, checking it out, doing whatever we need to do, and then taking it back to the client. So it's uh, we're still trying to maintain that separation, if we could, social distance, if you want to call it that, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's wise at this point still.
1: Well, you know, we talk on the show a lot about how uh, cats uh, are certainly the uh, rule the roost, and, and my cat has a, uh, his latest example of that. Uh, the uh, TV I have has a stand on it, and there's just a little area in front of the thing that's about wide enough for a cat to walk on. And so he likes to, you know, walk out in the middle of the screen and just lay down there and, you know, do, do what he needs to do. Right. And uh, if, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll yell at him or whatever, try to get his attention, and he'll sit there the minute. I get up off the couch and start walking towards the TV. He runs around behind the TV uh, and sits there for a while. And then when I sit back down, it's probably another few minutes. He'll come back out there. And, and my favorite thing he does is that he comes out and he does that kind of cat scratch with a big yawn and everything where, oh, yeah, I'm just here relaxing. So uh, I I don't know. I think uh, it's funny to me because cats uh, – you know have this reputation of being kind of standoffish but i know my cat just loves to be the center of attention most of the time that's for sure
3: and you know that's that's true in so many cases he knows exactly what he's doing and he wants your attention i mean and he's getting it too so but that's a perfect place for him to to perch if you will you might change it up if you don't want him to be there but uh he 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 likes that
1: uh, yeah, I figure, though, I, I feel guilty because he uses that to get to the window, which is one of his favorite places to look out and, and see what's going on, on the outside. So I'm I'm a softy when it comes to him, although it, it is it's aggravating and funny all at the same time. So, hey, Libby, uh, we talked about fireflies uh, recently and there was a, a viewing event at the Mississippi Craft Center this last weekend. Uh, do we know if the fireflies put on a good show for everybody?
0: Oh, yeah, we're. And uh, Claire Graves did a great job. Uh, lots of tickets were sold and great Firefly display. In fact, they are still displaying out there. The numbers are starting to decrease at that site. So if um, if any of our listeners want to see them, today would probably be a good time, to, or tonight would be a good time to get out there. Um, hey, Got to wait until Libby. about 9 o'clock,
3: though. Yeah. Yeah. It is Troy. Yeah. Uh. My fireflies have been putting on a pretty exciting display. Uh, they they've really done well. I haven't passed out any tickets or anything like that, but uh, they usually crank up around 8:30, a quarter of nine, and go for a while. And uh, they they're they're pretty pretty. Uh, what shall I say? Vibrant uh, and they're synchronous and uh, just really a whole lot of them this time.
0: I'm so glad you guys have got them. I think this is a really good year. Here on our land, it's it's maybe the best year we've had, which is kind of a wonderful gift while we're all closed in anyway.
3: Well, it really Uh, is. It really uh,
0: is. There there are a lot of them that were a little bit late this year, which scared me. And I keep wondering how long they'll last. Now, usually we have about 14 days of flashing. It's uh, the ninth day of really good flashing now, so i you know we might have reached our peak last night we'll just have to see but um it's not too late for people to get out and look and even if you don't have the synchronous fireflies there are a lot of treetops know you've got those too lots of treetop flashers these wonderful little what we call slow glows that just kind of drift along and glow for a, a couple of three seconds and um it's it's a lot of fun. We, in fact, we were out there way too late last night. Just, <laughs> I've got a nice place where you can put your uh, lawn chairs, and they're all around you, and it's hard to get up with in the evenings. But it's a, uh, and now the the stars were wonderful last night too. I don't know what we'll have tonight. It may be a little more cloudy, so I would recommend getting outdoors. And uh then the other thing I'm uh, spending time with during the daylight hours is watching our nesting birds. And I imagine Troy's got a lot of those at his house too. i put in a plug for next week. We'll have a, a, a researcher that's worked with hummingbirds for several years. We'll be talking about hummingbird behavior. I've been really enjoying that. I'm, last year, for the first time, I saw what they call the U dance. It's The the male, it looks like he's riding on the roller coaster almost, and he just loop, 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 loops while he's making this strange buzz, showing off for the female. And so I had seen that last year and been looking for it again. And then this year I saw what I now have read is kind of a second dance that they call the side-to-side dance. And the male is just right up in her face, really. (laughs) The female's in the bush, and he's dancing side-by-side really fast and making lots of noise. And uh, that's when he really thinks she's interested in him evidently. So, I'm anxious for next week to hear more about all that.
3: One other thing, Libby, uh, we've really been blessed this year with Uh, with Wills. uh Both oh. si- <clears throat> both sides of the house. Uh, if you walk out, uh, they're, they're more than one, obviously, but uh, they've really been very vocal and morning and night, uh, which is kind of neat because early morning. They're doing their song, and then at night as well. So that's I, I love to hear the whippoorwills.
0: Righty, I haven't heard them for years here, but you give me hope. Maybe I'll get them back, too. But uh, You know, I, I think they're one of the birds that have been on a decrease, so you're lucky to have those. Um, my,
1: my observation about fireflies, I have a friend of mine who lives in Florence, Uh, in a subdivision but sort of at the edge of a subdivision and he was able to go out in a wooded area right near his home and he uh, sent me a little video of the fireflies it's kind of hard to see it's you know mostly black but you can see the little dots of light there so I would say that uh, you know I've not been out to see them but because I always thought oh well you've got to be out in the middle of the woods or whatever but like I say he lives lives in Florence in a subdivision so it's like if you can kind of get away and get into a dark area sounds like that you'll be able to uh, enjoy them as well.
0: Yes, yeah, and you know you can even if it's a dark road that doesn't have uh street lights, walking on a, a road is a great way to see them because you kind of you don't have to worry about stumbling or tripping over something while you're watching so if you can find an unlit road that's safe to walk on at night. I've got a kind of a long driveway and that's really a very safe way to to see them is just walk along that driveway with all the lights off.
1: And uh, my bird that seems to like uh, my house is the woodpecker. So I I heard him again this morning and he likes to hammer on my uh, my downspout. In fact, uh, there's one right there by my driveway and I went out this morning and he kind of startled me because, you know, I'd heard him when it was when I was in the house and then didn't hear him. But then as soon as I came out, he was hammering away and then I I tried to find out where he was and, and saw him flying off. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if it's the same one, but uh, the woodpeckers seem to like my house. So that's the the one thing that I get to listen to. So that's kind of interesting. Got a couple of emails here. Uh, Libby, this one is about a firefly. And it says, uh, if you're looking for cypress swamp fireflies, where would you see them? In the trees or near the ground?
0: Okay, they're in cypress trees. Uh, The only two places that I've seen them are either in cypress trees or in the um, black gum, you know, which is associated right with the cypress tree. And they even like to be over the water. And they are fairly high up, which is good when you're trying to sight them. Uh, The places I've seen them are right on the edges of of the limb of the cypress tree or the black gum and they'll make like four quick flashes and then they drop down it, it looks to me like they're, if not they're standing you know kind of floating still and then they drop down and make a a, a glow for a couple of seconds it's almost a j-shape so it's like four flashes and then this long glow and then they'll go dark and then a little bit later make the four flashes and go sometimes it's five flashes it's and those are fast flashes but um that is right now we that's the rarest one that i know about so
1: I hope our listener finds them. All right. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Time for our first break of the hour. When we return, we'll talk with our guest, who's no stranger to the show. It's Kathy Shropshire. We'll talk about the Mississippi Armadillo, so stay tuned.
4: On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.
1: You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour, a longtime friend of the show, it's Kathy Shropshire, former Mississippi Wildlife Federation Executive Director and a wildlife biologist. So, always uh, enjoy having you on the show with us, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm
4: doing good. Doing really good. Good to be back.
1: All right, uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, armadillos this hour. Uh, first of all, why do they seem to be sort of the, the poster child for roadkill?
4: <laughs> well, because um, one of their traits is that when they are frightened, they tend to jump up or bounce up three or four feet, which is just about, you know, in line with a good bumper in a car or a truck or something. So it's... It's a trait that they have, which doesn't serve them very well on the highway.
1: <laughs> uh, tell us about it. these are uh, mammals, I guess. Is that right?
4: Oh yeah, they're mammals. Yeah, they just look a little different. They're the only ones that we have in this this family in in um, the U.S. And so, yeah, they got hair. Uh, most of it, you know, that bony plate that they have on the outside makes them look like they might be something other than a than a mammal. But they have. Um, live young and she some milk so
1: yeah she's are mammals all right uh what about uh, population numbers are are is it a robust population of armadillos here in mississippi and uh, are they in all parts of the state oh yeah
4: they're not they're all throughout uh mississippi and throughout the southeast um and I suspect there's a, a hardy population out there. Um, they're expanding their range on into, I've seen where they're on into Nebraska, Southern Illinois, Indiana, South Carolina. And as, uh, it, you know, temperatures is warming, um, they can expand more. It seems like the cold temperatures are one of the things that um, will limit how far they can go because they, they don't hibernate. And, um, uh, so they, they don't um, really do well in really cold or really,
1: really, really dry areas either. We're visiting on Creature Comforts with Kathy Shropshire. Uh, if you have a question about armadillos this morning, maybe a brush with wildlife with an armadillo you'd like to share with us, or uh, any other wildlife observations, or a pet question for Dr. Major, give us a call because we have phone lines open at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at org. So, Kathy, where did armadillos come from?
4: <laughs> well, they originated in South America. Um, and then made their way up, once there was an instance of Panama down there, they made their way north, and they also made their way farther south into South America. So they made their way up um, into Mexico and eventually into the U.S., probably in the mid-1800s, and this kept
0: kept moving
1: so uh, you said i guess their range is primarily the southern part of the u.s do they do they like the warm weather here
4: well they like the warm weather they like the fact that we've got lots of insects here because that's what they primarily eat or um are the insects you know it's pretty easy digging here um we've just got a lot of really good things for, for armadillos here
1: uh, in terms of uh, – I always like to hear it when uh, bug, b- animals eat insects. Uh, do they have a healthy appetite? What are, what are some of the things that, in their insect diet?
4: Um, you know, really whatever they come across, um, it's 95% of what they eat are insects. So a lot of beetles, grubs, um, but they they will also eat small invertebrates. They'll eat eggs. You know they're kind of opportunistic. They're they're going to be limited somewhat in what they can eat because they've got these little pig like teeth. They don't have incisors or things that can grab like that. So um, you know they're they're pretty they're opportunistic to some extent, but primarily eating insects and things that they can lap up with their tongue.
1: Um, since I guess a lot of us would see him only as, as kind of being smushed by a car or whatever. What about uh, size wise? And say an adult armadillo how how big do these guys get?
4: Well, you know that's crazy because I was looking at just kind of going over some things the other day and looking online, and it said that there was there was one that was twenty two pounds. That is extremely large. <laughs> and, you know, they're more the size of a of a an opossum. Um, you know, four to ten pounds probably is more more normal. So if you think about a you know a size possum, that's kind of the range that they're in. Uh,
1: what about family life?
4: Um, well, they don't really have a family life. <laughs> <laughs> they come together. And, yeah, well, you know, they kind of have to do a lot, like a lot of, of uh, animals out there. They come together in, in the um, summer in May, and then. Um, the uh egg does not implant until in the fall and then the young are born in the spring and there's um four identical young. There's only one egg and it's split into four identical young. So if you see or looking enough to see four little armadillos, they're exactly the same. Oh. <laughs> they're all all yeah. So that's kinda cool. That's kind of a unique thing for um for animals out there is the way that works. But I that, don't know what that advantage is, but there must be some advantage to that.
1: But after that, the, pretty much the family splits up, and once once they're born, they're kind of on their own.
4: Well, um, they'll stay in, in the in, in the um, den where they're born for several months, and then they'll they'll move around for you know six months to a year, maybe. We had some in our yard; the little four guys stayed together for seemed like months, and then you know eventually we just didn't see them anymore. So I guess they split up and went their separate ways. But they'll, the the little ones stayed together for. Oh, several months, and just drove up for a little dog nuts because they were going every which way. <laughs>
1: um, I think we've got a, a caller on the line. We'll get to that in just a minute. But, uh, Dr. Major, uh, Ed, are armadillos any danger to maybe small pets, or is that something that they would probably avoid just looking for more insects?
3: You know, I I would say that <clears throat> they're no danger to, to the small pets. Uh, they, I think Kathy alluded to the fact they might get into a, a nest of eggs or something like that. But uh, as far as being uh, voracious, as far as any attacking an animal, I don't think so. They would rather run. And if you've ever tried to catch one, you know they're not real easy to catch. They're pretty pretty swift. And the the worst thing would be maybe a larger animal. They do dig a very substantial burrow. And a horse or cow certainly could step into the hole and cause some damage to its leg. That's certainly a possibility. And for people, they can undermine uh, undermine pilings under a house. They can dig quite, quite deep. So they can be a nuisance. But uh, in general, they like to be left alone, and I don't think they're going to attack anything, pet or person.
1: All right, uh, got a couple emails to get to, but also we've got a caller on the line, so let's go to the call first as we say good morning to Gladys calling in from Long Beach. Good morning, Gladys. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
4: Good morning. I have one armadillo in my yard at least. I haven't seen others, but I see holes in the yard, in my um, flower bed and different places where um, I think that they have been digging. How do, how do I stop them? Actually, how do I even get them out of my yard? <laughs> you, you don't have any kind of fence around your yard. Is it wide open? I don't
1: Gladys, Gladys, do you have a fence around your yard? I do not. No fence. Okay.
4: Yeah. And no pet. Um, you, you, it is possible to trap them in live traps, Um my neighbor had did it for years and but he had a, a lot trap that was more of a box trap than a cage trap and he, yeah. he was pretty successful at that because it was I think it was because it was dark and he he uh, baited it with um I remember him telling me like with melons or something that's real strong and attract insects because they're going there pretty much for the insects so okay. if you had some kind of box trap they he had had ex- success with that and and apparently you know the cage trap would work as well i would just think if it was a dark place they might be a little more inclined to to want to you know would be a little feel like a little safer going into something like that
3: kathy some of the uh some of the uh hardware stores do have uh armadillo traps for sale and they're much like you're talking about they're kind of a box uh, not a wire trap and uh I, i have seen them for sale at different hardware stores so that might be a source The other thing would be, even though you don't have a fence, I swear, I alluded to this with squirrels. Jack Russell Terrier would do great as (laughs) far as helping to keep them out of the
2: yard. That's true. That's true. I thought about that.
1: All right, uh, Gladys, we appreciate you giving us a call this morning. This is Creature Comfort on MPB Think Radio. Here's an email with an observation about uh, armadillos. It says, here in Roxy, west of Natchez, it was common in the early 80s to see 20 or more armadillos on a summer afternoon walk. They were a major pest in the yard. Uh, They are only rarely found now. I attribute this to the population explosion of coyotes. The only armadillos I see now are in populated areas where coyotes rarely go. I've seen evidence of coyote predation on my property. Uh, They dug one up. So, Kathy, uh, um, are armadillos endangered from uh, creatures like uh, coyotes?
4: Well, I'm I'm sure they would be, especially the young, because the young do not have the the, um, bony plates. When they're born, they're, they're, they're very squishy and much more vulnerable to to something like a, a coyote or a bobcat or something like that. So, yeah, that, I am not think so much for an, an adult armadillo, but for the young, yeah, definitely. But, but Roxy, if it's Roxy, too, if they're having a lot of flooding there, mm-hmm. that could be an issue, too. If there's flooding at the time that they would normally have been denning and having their young, that, that, could, be, that much could play a part in as well.
1: Uh, but obviously that, that bony plate that the armadillo has is, is useful for uh, self-preservation, I guess.
4: Right, right. Because their little bellies are, are not covered, so they're still vulnerable there. But they can, they can ball up a little bit, um, not totally, but that would protect them yeah, from another, from another from a predator.
3: Okay. I uh, may have told this before, but, uh, you know, back in the, what, 70s, early 80s, uh, Our kids used to do a uh, thing. They would take one side of the road the other the other side. And, you know, going to Hattiesburg from Jackson, they might count 20 roadkill armadillos. You just don't see that many uh, on the road anymore that are killed, whether they uh, natural selection has ruled out the ones that are going across the road. (laughs) I don't know, but you sure don't see nearly as many. But in in those days, 70s and 80s, you used to see a lot more, I think, on the road.
1: Maybe we yeah. have a, a smarter brand of uh, armadillos these days. Right. That's it. <laughs> uh, let's get one more call in before our next break, and it will go to Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hang on one second. All right, Sue, you're on the air now. Go ahead.
0: Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Several years ago, I had a lot of problems with armadillos. They really can mess up your yard. They they dug holes all in my backyard, deep holes, too. I mean, deep enough, you'd walk out there and, and uh, you know, hurt your ankle if you stepped in one of those holes. But uh, they can do a lot of damage to your yard. But I heard uh, it was on the media not to pick one up because they carried some odd disease like leprosy or something. Do you remember that?
1: Kathy, any uh, thoughts on that?
0: Um, armadillos can
4: um, carry the bacteria that, has, that causes leprosy. I mean, it's not. Common, I don't think that. Yeah, they are one of the few mammals that that can carry that bacteria and, and have leprosy. But the um, most people are immune to that bacteria. Like you know, it'd be. It, it's one of those things that's possible to contract it, but you know, you got to be the right armadillo and the right person and at the right place. And you know, I, I think also they said that it it didn't as well, so. Um, You know, it's a possibility, but obviously it's not something that happens very often because it would be occurring more often.
1: All right, Sue, thanks for your call. Uh, It's time for another break. When we get back, we'll continue talking about armadillos with our guest, Dr., Dr. Kathy Shropshire. So stay tuned deep south dining is the show all about the culture of southern flavor from fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our mpb public media app this is creature comforts on mpb think radio i'm kevin farrell here with dr troy major veterinarian at the animal medical center in jackson Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest for the hour, Kathy Shropshire. If you missed any of today's program, you can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app, or you can download the MPB public media app for your smartphone. Join the conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, Back to the phone lines we go for a couple more callers. First up uh, is William in Starkville. William, thanks for the call. Go ahead, please. Uh,
5: Yes, uh, I had uh, 50 years ago, not quite, no, yeah, just a little less than 50 years ago. uh, I was working with Dr. Lewis R. Brown on a research project at Stennis Center. Excuse me. And, uh... While we were there with his research, I was an engineer on the project. A young woman from uh, Cornell University came down. <clears throat> she was involved with with uh, armadillo research and wanted to catch them. And uh, oh, I could tell you a whole bunch of uh, fascinating incidents. They put out an all alerts uh, uh, note to pick up any dead armadillos any any every morning on the way onto the onto the uh, uh, site. And she had a collection of maybe, maybe twenty frozen armadillos there for possible research, but she wanted the live ones. And I actually, uh, when they discovered that you couldn't catch an armadillo in a in a big fish uh, a, a fish net to, uh, to, you know, what do they call the dip nets off a boat? And because uh, the armadillo would go right through stick his nose through the, <laughs> the holes and keep right on going. But uh, there was an old park on the site, on the uh, facility down there that, from a town that had been moved. I don't know whether it was Lumberton or, or some nearby town had to be moved. But they the armadillos would come out at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and and I discovered that, that if you... I always had been running with the track team, and so I was in excellent shape, and I discovered that if you chased them... Uh, and didn't didn't run into any trees which would have been a certain death you could grab them by the tail and lift them up in the air and where their claws couldn't get to you and you could actually catch them by hand and she needed them because she wanted to put uh um radio collars on them and of course if you can't put a radio collar on they had to figure out somehow and so they tried to epoxy uh little radio transmitters onto their their carapace, uh, just back of their right, just above their tail, and so those those are some of the things that happened. They were interested. She was catching them because Cornell had some some uh, uh, research. You just mentioned the uh, uh, the uh, biblical disease that they suffer uh, that the uh, armadillos suffer from and they were interested in them because since there were four identical quadruplets born every time there there was uh, armadillos were born that they could do research with multiple animals and uh, know that they were starting off with exactly the same same uh, uh, uh same condition same identical animals at at the start anyway uh, those are just some curious things that I thought might be of interest to to folks that are uh, interested in armadillos, a, a couple of years ago I tried to track down the, the young woman who apparently uh, she didn't apparently finish her Ph.D. At Cornell or it wasn't listed there, and she ended up I think with Wildlife Service in uh, in Alaska, and I never was successful in tracking her down. But it was an interesting time. I hope that's of
1: interest <laughs> to you. Thanks, uh, William. Great story. I love the the image of uh, you running along there, snatching up armadillos by the tail. So enjoyed the uh, your uh, remembering of of your researching with those creatures. Appreciate the call. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and we are primarily talking about armadillos today with our guest Kathy Shropshire. Uh, we've got another caller on the line, so we'll continue on. Let's talk to our friend Bill in Greenwood. Good to hear from you, Bill. Go ahead, please.
2: Uh how you doing? I got a question to come in. You know, first off. At night, and night, some something comes along when I go in, it's just like a a, a rope grater. It just goes all in the flower bed and just scrapes everything. So I don't know if I've got a rope a armadillo. I think I do, but I've never seen one here. But I, I do know there used to be a lot of them on the road, yet, but I haven't seen them one lately. But I've been watching this TV show on Saturday morning, uh, and it's uh, about a lady who they, they rescue animals. And they bring them to her, and she takes care of them. And somebody brought in some little teeny baby armadillos that didn't have their mama, and she raised them and sent them out in the wild. And I was wondering if you got, if you found the little baby, one, uh, could you make a pet out of it? <laughs> <Is> that possible <laughs> out of the armadillo? Um, well,
4: you know that's that's a good question because I, I grew up in East Texas, and we did have armadillos, and we did catch one and keep it for a while but it doesn't make a very good pet. they're just not very exciting so we we (laughs) kept it for a couple of weeks i think then we let it go because it wasn't you know it it just wasn't very exciting (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i guess you could you know they are kind of interesting looking a cute little
2: bit
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, Bill, thanks for your call. Always good to hear from you on Creature Comforts. Uh, Here is a pet question for Dr. Major that we got uh, on the email. Uh, It says, do white American bulldogs have a tendency to skin allergies? Does omega-3 and vitamin E help prevent those? My dog weighs 80 pounds. Uh, If you would recommend a dose, what would it be? So uh, American bulldogs and skin allergies. Any thoughts, Dr. Major?
3: You know, a lot of the white dogs have uh, some of the sun-related uh, situations, but, yes, they. Uh, I would think it's more apparent also on a white dog maybe than a, on a dark dog or a dog that has longer hair. Uh, as far as the omega-3 uh, fatty acids, I would say that a dog that size could easily take a 1,000-milligram uh, capsule, if you will, or sometimes you can get it in a pump that you could pump it on his food, uh, certainly that would uh, be a fairly adequate dose, and it might help. There can be other things causing, you know, allergies, but I I would say that in, in our practice, probably we see pretty equal distribution of allergies in white dogs, black dogs, brown dogs.
1: Okay? All right. Uh, Kathy, we're talking about armadillos. What about uh, habitat? What sort of habitat do they look for?
0: Um, well,
4: you know, they can handle a lot of different kind of habitats, but uh, they like um, bottomland hardwood areas, the upland areas, any plenty place that, you know, got a bunch of insects. They're they're not um, specific to any particular habitat. Again, as I said, they don't like really, really dry areas, um, but, in, but any kind of habitat, but But I did did want to tell y'all we're talking about uh, having to chase these armadillos down. I do want to express that not all of them run. (laughs) We had one under our deck. I think it was last summer. And I had to get it out from under the deck or the dog was going to bark all night. So I got the dog in the house and I had my my, um, flashlight. It was one of those hot, horrible summer nights. And I'm thinking, okay, open the gate and I'll... I'll nudge it a little bit. It will run out. Oh, no. I nudged that armadillo all the way out the gate. It was just bound (laughs) and determined it was going to eat. So, If anybody had wanted to catch an armadillo, that was the one to catch.
3: (laughs) Kathy, I have a question for you. This is Troy. Uh, How did, this is always an interesting question, how did the armadillos cross the Mississippi River? (laughs)
4: Well, you know, there's a lot of theories that people brought them over. I know there is um, some documentation that people brought them into Florida even very early, back in the 1800s, I believe. But there's a lot of speculation they can um, float to some extent, um, so it would be possible that they could do that. They can walk underwater on the bottom. That would be a trick to go that far under the Mississippi River, but there might be... You know, way to hopscotch across. They can certainly go across any bridge. Right. I understand that they may have been brought over from, uh, in cattle cars from Texas, uh, but they might have gotten on some cattle cars back in the 30s or, you know, sure. just, um, numerous ways they could have, you know, caught a ride, if not just right. actually walking across.
3: Right. I would say that there was very little population, in my opinion, uh, prior to the. Early '60s, mid '60s. First right. armadillo I, I, I think ever they, saw. Yeah, they yeah, had
4: them in, in Louisiana in the 1930s, and so I'm sure they were working their way this way, but didn't really show up till the to the right. '60s and '70s. And by 19, so, I think it was 1995, they were already showing up, you know, abundantly throughout Mississippi and even farther east.
3: So. Right. The first one I ever saw was uh, done at Fayette. Uh, down there and i ran over it actually uh but it was the first one i ever saw and i was you know raised at utica and uh we just didn't have any around there until later on as in the 60s
1: uh 70s just curious dr major they're kind of strange looking creatures Do you remember sort of your reaction when you saw that first one
3: well i knew what it was but uh i had never seen one you know up close and personal and uh uh, Kathy's absolutely right. I think they do when they get startled they jump and it's perfect for a car bumper or undercarriage of a car uh, to hit them uh, when when they're in the in the road. But yeah, it was it was fairly fairly interesting and uh I've always been interested in animals so I had to stop and look at it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, uh, time for uh, the last break this hour. When we get back, we'll continue talking everything armadillos with our guest, Dr. Kathy Shropshire. So stay tuned. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts
3: Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians,
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guest this hour, Kathy Shropshire. You can join our conversation at one mpb ring Call us at one 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, Kathy, we talk a lot about uh, how they like to dig holes. So do they spend some of their time in the little burrows or holes that they make?
4: Oh, yeah, yeah well, yeah. well, they go there to, you know, to have the young, and then it's a, just a good escape uh, place and a place to stay during the day because they're not generally active during the day. I mean, they can be, and, you know, in general, they're nocturnal, so during the day, the den's a good place to stay. And, of course, it's a good place to hide if you're uh, being chased by something, and then they, they can dig a hole pretty quickly. They're amazing. Um, how quickly they can dig a, a hole big enough for them to, to scoot into and get away from, from a predator.
1: Got a couple more phone calls to get to, so we will start again with our friend Craig and Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
2: Hey, good morning. Uh,
5: do do possums carry young in a pouch? I mean, I'm sorry, do armadillos carry young in a pouch like <laughs> a possum?
4: No, they're, they're not marsupials. They're, they're no. mammals, but they are not marsupial. So they have their they they um, have their young um, live, and the young are fairly um, active when they're born. They 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 move around pretty well and can see you know when they're born. So they're not um, not like little baby rabbits or mice that are um, pretty helpless when they're born.
2: Yeah, and and
4: do they play dead like a possum? Well, um, they can they can you know I guess if they run out of any other excuse they can roll up just a little bit and, and not necessarily not to the extent that a possum would. Um, that's kind of a uh, neurological thing that goes on there, but uh, it would just be another way to to try to escape danger. So okay, they, yeah, they could can, stop and roll. Yeah, not not like the, the pangolins and some of those other armadillos that can actually turn, you know, roll up into a complete little ball, where where they they are just a hard little um, bone, little mass of bone, which would um, you know help protect them from a predator. They can't do that. They're not that flexible.
2: Okay. Yeah. So. It's- yeah, I get a kick out of possums when you when you can see them, when they play dead. You can see them grinning when you poke them a little bit. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah, I'm just hoping you'll go away. <laughs> yeah,
1: good to hear from you, Craig. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, let's move on next and go to Chico, who's called in today. Good morning. You're on the air with us.
2: Good morning, y'all. Yeah, you know, I've always appreciated the armadillo in popular culture. Uh, I think in New York City, well, I know there was a club called the Lone Star Cafe in New York City in the 80s, and it had a giant sculpture on the top that I think was an armadillo. It might have just been a lizard. But I know (laughs) that in Austin, Texas, in the 1970s, one of the great music venues that ever was was the Armadillo Wormwood Headquarters. (laughs) It's Great, great music venue. Willie Nelson played there. Joe Ely played there. Bruce Springsteen played some of his most famous shows in. And it, that, that place kind of endeared me to the Armadillo. In uh, 1982, there was a band called The Clash mm-hmm. from London. And uh, they had their biggest hit in 1982 it was a song called Rock the Casbah. And they filmed the video for that song near houston texas out amongst some oil fields and they zeroed in on an armadillo running away from the band (laughs) and years later i had the opportunity to ask joe strummer who was the lead singer for that band i had the opportunity to ask him why was the armadillo in the video for rock the casbah and he said why well, was the wildest thing we'd ever seen, I man? I, I love armadillos, and, and I love this show.
1: All right, great <laughs> stories, Chico. Yeah, well,
4: right. It, you know, I want to go home with the armadillo too. That's part of it. <laughs> That's part of Texas culture. And the, and armadillo is the small mammal uh, state ma- small mammal for Texas as well. So they they em- embrace their armadillos.
1: And, you know, Chico, that was one of my favorite Clash songs, so apparently the armadillo didn't uh, quite necessarily agree with me. Good to hear from you. Thanks so much for the phone call. Uh, So, Kathy, looking back in the past during the Depression, armadillos were hunted for their meat and called poor man's pork or Hoover hork uh, or Hoover hog uh, after President Hoover. Uh, Have you heard about that? And are armadillos good to eat?
4: Oh, you'll have to ask somebody
1: else.
4: <laughs> a well, I, I have, a, I have um, dissected them, and the meat is white. It looks okay. Um, just haven't had the need to do that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, people were, you know, bit, you know people would eat pastas and armadillas and anything else they had the opportunity to catch. Mm. So um, it, it, let be okay. <laughs> I've never
1: tried it. And earlier, we were talking about uh, armadillo control. Dr. Major mentioned uh, Jack Russell Terrier. I think you mentioned uh, fencing. Are there any other things that homeowners could do to either repel or discourage uh, armadillos in their yards, their property? That
4: That's really about it. It's some kind of fencing. And, and we have a flat fence around our houses and around our yard and and. That armadillo was able to, to scoot in, so it you know, it does take if you really have a problem, you're really trying to get them out. You, you want to have something that they can't um, squeeze through or dig under, or um, they, they can climb a little bit because they've got those um, those long claws. I don't think it's something that they would do a lot, but um, if you had a chicken wire fence or something, I don't know how well that would keep them out, but there's no. Um, Poisons or anything that is um, specified and approved for getting rid or deterring armadillos. So really, a you know fence, a solid fence, and a and, 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 and or a small dog. <laughs> All
1: right, and we talked a lot about their their digging, and we don't want to you know uh, give a, a one sided argument. So there must be some benefit or some. Reason that they're around, or is there any benefit to humans for armadillos?
4: Uh, well, they benefit you know humans and other animals because they they eat a lot of insects, and mm-hmm. so they keep a you know that's the control on insects that we have. Another control of insects that we have, otherwise we might have way too many beetles out there running around, or, or other insects out there. So um, you know that's that's I guess looking for a contribution that would be um what you know their little niche in the world is to um, help control insect populations
1: all right and we've got about a minute and a half left um what about some resources maybe online or other way or that people might go if they want to learn more about armadillos
4: well, you can always, um, you know, online Google um, nine banded nine banded armadillos. That's that's the one that we have here. Um extension service has some articles um, on armadillos and um, um, a lot of good information there. So, yeah.
1: All right, and uh, they're primarily all that sort of. I was I looked up and did an image search, and they all appear to be pretty much the same color. Although I did see a, a stray a brown one, but they're mostly, I guess, that kind of grayish color. Is that right?
4: It's gray with that. You, they can be kind of uh, bone color, too, in places, especially on their tail. But um, um, they're kind of mottled. You know, it's like solid colors, but mostly that uh, more grayish, I think. That's what, you know, that's what I'm familiar with, more than more so than brown.
1: Right. All right. Uh, That is going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by listeners like you. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Dr. Kathy Shropshire, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned, because up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.